to another episode of the Best Minutes Podcast. Each week, Movie by Minutes hosts examine the 1946 William Wyler-directed film, The Best Years of Our Lives, one minute of screen time per episode. I'm your host, Paul Francis Sullivan. Please call me Sully. I'm the creator of Bull Durham Minute, as well as the Locked On MLB Podcast, and a lot of other stuff that we don't necessarily have to get into. On today's episode, we are breaking down Minute 127 which opens with Fred walking into the back of the bar and grill to meet Al and ends with Al reminding Fred that he has a wife. Well, something we don't have to remind ourselves of is that we have two very good guests for these episodes. The first is an accomplished actor and director who starred in the TV series White Collar, where he played FBI agent Peter Burke. It's Tim Decay. Hi, Tim. Hey, Sully. Great to be here. I look forward to chatting about these minutes or well, this, this minute. This is too big a minute for just one guest because returning to the show is the accomplished writer, producer of such TV shows as Riverdale, Revenge, Supergirl, and many more. We can't count them all. And by a sheer coincidence, he's my brother. It's Ted Sullivan. Hey, Ted, how you doing? I guess I will call you Sully. Nah, you don't have to call me Sully. You didn't All call right. me. Sully. I, I'm. Uh, well, you. It's in your. It's in your name. Please call me Sully. Uh, no, I'm excited to talk about this. I. Uh, I'm. This is my favorite scene in the movie. So I'm super excited that the three of us get to chat about it. Absolutely. Well, uh, this is a film. I know. I first saw it when I was in college, and I saw it again probably maybe ten. Or we watched it when we were in Florida making the film I'll Believe You. It was on uh, Turner Classics, and you and I watched it. I know I watched it one time there. But, uh, Tim, what is your background with this film? Like, Did you see it when you were younger? Do you watch it on a weekly basis? I watch it, <laughs> I watch it on a monthly basis. Uh, it, I watched it, I too believe, sometime after college. I watched this, and... Um, you know, it's interesting. It's one of these movies where there are, they hit all the age groups. And so while I was first uh, impacted emotionally by by Homer and his gal, because I was closer to that age, now I look at Al and uh, Myrna Loy's uh, couple, the marriage, and, and I'm so moved by those two. It's unbelievable. So... Uh, yeah, I saw it in college, and then, then when uh, you guys got a hold of me, I thought, well, I'd better see it again, and and I have watched it three times since. Wow, really? I was, yeah, it's just yeah. one of those. Yeah, because you know, I watched it once, and then I said to my wife, "You got to watch this with me." Mm -hmm. Watch it again, and then I decided, well, I want to watch it one more time today with, before we talk about it a little bit. And you did your homework. homework. Yeah, absolutely. I, I like. Yeah, I, I like know. It. No, that's awful. I just set myself up to <laughs> pontificate and to, and to speak ad nauseum. And, well, and no, no. I know that's not going to happen. I'm now. I'm taking out my headphones <laughs> and my mic. This is Tim's episode. Uh, I'm going to grab a bite. Tim that's has like all a, sorts of thoughts. Oh my! That's like a comedian. Well, the first thing uh, he says is, "I've studied comedy for 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> Laugh at this." But you know what? It's funny that like like films when they came out at this time, like the previews would say things like, "The most glorious, wonderful film that will ever be made." I mean, they had these grand. Oh, yeah. 
yeah, and like I was like, boy, you're setting yourself up for failure here. But this film was this film did have that kind of a trailer where it was like, you know, yeah. you'll you will laugh, it'll punch you in the face, you'll leave thinking you've never seen anything better. But you know, it this it delivered the goods. It, and it was and I mentioned this before, this film was a huge box office hit. It was the number it was the number one box office film of the of nineteen forty six. Yeah. Yeah, it was yeah. it was a massive, massive hit, and and I think what's what's amazing to me about it is it really does start to reflect the reality of the soldiers coming home, which other movies had been doing uh, or, or were starting to do, like uh, Twelve O'clock High, but um, what this does so really effectively, and that really blew me away when I watched it, was the idea that the women had their own agency and dreams and frustrations. And they had a very, very um, fleshed out perspective of the world, which was not just to be the strong woman next to the man or the supportive woman next to the man. And, and that to me was mind blowing because unlike you and, and Tim, I, I have no memory watching it in Florida. It's possible we did, but it's also possible that I fell asleep and I just wasn't paying attention. Um, this was, for me, the first time I had seen the movie. And I was just absolutely blown away. And, I, and I'm ashamed to say that I spent a lot of time avoiding this movie because I just felt it was going to be one of those, like, how green was my valley? Or, like, at the time was celebrated, but really doesn't uh doesn't hold up it's not going to be a citizen cane um but i i was i was riveted the entire time and and really stunned by how strong the writing was how incredibly nuanced the performances were, were across the board and how good looking the movie is it's a really yeah. beautifully directed and shot movie well and of course the cinematographer and this has been talked about a bunch of times was greg tolan who shot citizen kane and you see a lot in this particular scene, specifically in the bar and grill, you see a lot of the camera techniques in terms of the depth of field, the depth of focus, everything in the shot is in focus. Uh, this shot could fit right in with one of the newspaper scenes in Citizen Kane. And and the composition of it is so beautiful. I think that it, it's it comes from a place of of love from William Wyler, who of course went to World War II right. and came back and was really, really itching to make a film, as I said in an earlier episode, that this is the film that takes place after and they lived happily ever after. Right. And it was very brave to make a film like that in an era where everyone just wanted to celebrate the great victory that took place overseas. It seems it, 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 there's also a certain emotional life that this movie has that I have found is, is one of the main reasons I think it's held up. As we've said, some of these movies haven't in there because they had some other agenda, be it patriotic or, or um, something to, to continue to boost the economy, who knows? But there are moments in this movie that where I, I can almost see Weiler saying to his actors, "Listen, just let it breathe. I'm just I'm just going to roll and and take that moment. You know, I, I it, 
And the shot stays on that moment too. It doesn't mm-hmm. leave it. Right. Where, uh, at the beginning, there's uh, when they all leave each other, they drop off mm-hmm. Homer and they then they drop off uh, then they drop off Al. And there's they all have a moment to say what what they think is goodbye. And and it and it feels as if they're all saying goodbye and there's a they have a lonely shot of one of the three and you can see he's waving to his to his comrades in arms saying I've got to go into this particular battle of coming home alone and maybe we'll meet up again at the bar I hope we will but right now this moment uh, I've got to do it on my own and it's oh it's heartbreaking well, and they front, load, they front load the complexity so what's really interesting oh, is they're all great. so excited, yeah. you know, they're yeah. so excited to get home originally. In fact, they can't wait. They're trying to negotiate at the top. You know, mm-hmm. I, 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 you know, Dana Andrews, we see him like trying to, uh, trying to make a deal to, I got to get back. I got to get back. Mm-hmm. And then the closer they get to home, the more mm-hmm. nervous they get. Oh, and yeah. the more that they know that this is the story that, because this is the scene at the beginning of the movie, and you know, obviously they're characters in a the story they don't realize. It's not meta that way, but it's signaling to us in the audience exactly what Paul said. This is the what happens after they lived happily ever after, because they know there is no happily ever after. They have a vis- visible reminder, yes. of, you know, of yes. Homer, who is like we're different, mm-hmm. we're and 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 that sets the tone for the movie and I, that what that's what for me made me sit forward and say well what happens next mm-hmm. right and then to see you know i love the scene when frederick march comes home and his daughter is growing up and she's working and you know his son's not quite connecting with him about no. his stories no. and yeah. and his wife's is you know, she's like, you know, I don't smoke. Oh yeah, I forgot. Like they're they're not in sync at all, and it is no. not the happy. You know, it, yeah. to me, that's that's great storytelling. And now you're like, well, are they going to break up? Or are they going to come together? Yeah, and again, it's from the, a normal film at that time was told entirely from the male perspective. That of course you're happy that daddy's home. Oh, the devoted wife has it sees the loving husband they have the amazing scene obviously in the hallway which if you don't cry it's because you're an animal but um (laughs) the after that moment it's like you don't take into account that everybody has grown everyone has lived a life while they they he was expecting life was on pause there like they comes back and like yeah he almost i mean he understood intellectually everyone's older but he wasn't ready to not come home and see the same thing. And in the previous uh, minute where we talked about, uh, forgive me that I'm bringing something up, that when we next see him back in the hallway after they had the very complex scene with his daughter, he's alone now in that hallway. It's smoky, it's dark, and it's no longer the warm, loving place that it was when he came into. It's a very confusing place where he's alone and feels lonely. And I think that that... You had mentioned that there are some things that linger. There's a wonderful lingering moment in this particular minute. But this entire movie is filled with extra beats 
that make you a little bit uncomfortable because mm-hmm. you're supposed to be uncomfortable. And, and there, whether it's, you know, the scenes with Harold Russell and his fiance, or whether it's the moments of Frederick March not connecting with his son, or what we're about to see in this scene, there's, you could tighten it, an editor could tighten it up. Yes. But then you lose the emotional wallop of what we're looking at here. You, you do, you, you lose its impact. And I think that um, at first, I, when I saw it again this time, not way back when I was in college, I wondered immediately, I wondered if this movie had done well when it came out because so many of the moments like exactly like Frederick March coming home and that long shot down the hallway is one where, uh, and the two children are, they bookend Mm -hmm. the couple. And it's not as, as Ted, you were saying, it's really not his point of view. We are back with the kids and we're going to give them their space all the way down the hall. You will give you two. And it's about a couple. It's not about him seeing his hot wife who throws off her apron. She's in the kitchen and she happens to look gorgeous. No, she's, she's in the middle of just an everyday routine. And yet we never have a beauty shot of her until way later. And it's really not a beauty shot. It's more of her just kind of taking him in. So it's, 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 it's a shot that is about the couple. And I would think right. that, I don't know, I would imagine, I would have thought that some people would have not liked that subconsciously, n- not agreed with that because that's not our hero coming home. But obviously somewhere in the zeitgeist of our public in, in America back then, the psyche was aware of that and mature enough to respect it and say to their friends, hey, you gotta go see this movie. <laughs> Well, well, I've spent I, a lot. I, I I've spent a lot of time looking at movies. In fact, in in film school, I took a World War II film class where we watched movies oh. that were made during World War II, <clears throat> specifically, and then we started to watch them after World War II. And and while I didn't see this movie, what was really interesting to me is the movies made in world, during World War II. One were extremely heroic and patriotic, and <clears throat> usually ended with all of the Americans dying. And the, and the message was, we cannot let this be, be the end. Mm-hmm. But they all died heroic deaths. They all, and, and, and it was just, it was supposed to be like a rah-rah type of moment. Right. Now they're coming home. It's supposed to be a happy ending, but everyone knows it's not. And, mm-hmm. and that I think you, you, the people, the soldiers that fought overseas and the women that did all the work at home, now, no, we're all different, and now we have – it's messy. And that's what's really interesting about the direction yeah. of this movie and those awkward pauses is it makes it messy. It's not as rehearsed and beautiful as no. Bataan or Wake Island or even Casablanca, which is a, 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 a tome in yeah. order to motivate America to get into the war. Those yeah. are very carefully choreographed moments. These are all about what Tim and Paul, you were saying, it's the awkward moments, the awkward silence, the lingering for too long. Even the mm. first shot of the, the minute that we're talking about or supposed to be talking about, 
We will get to it. <laughs> like I have the minute open right now, and the very first frame is a messy looking frame. There's, you know, because this is going to be a messy scene. We've yeah. got Frederick March, like uh, all the way in one, tucked away in one corner. You know, we have Dana Andrews lost in the middle of these pole, like the, these posts and poles, and 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 it's and he has to navigate that to get to this table. And they're visual. Vis- visually telling us this is going to be a complex messy scene and that's the very first shot of the scene and that's not that this shot we're looking at is not what how it would have been shot in it's a wonderful life or you know like it it, it's a much more complex staging cinematography lighting all of it is is very complex and then it you know it and, and when he enters the the shot, it's still an awkward shot from a traditional standpoint. Dana Andrews sits down. We don't come around. We're over shoulders. They're really tucked away in the corner, the left-hand corner of the scene. Even yeah. though Dana Andrews is in the middle of the scene, he still looks small and off-center. And Remember one of the last times we saw this place was when it was hopping and filled mm-hmm. with joy and everyone was happy to see each other. And so this is, there's part of him that's almost like, I want, uh, is, is this the tone? You want to meet me? This, we're sitting at the same table that we sat at, that we were all had the great night. And then we cut to Frederick March and it's very, it's jarring. Now it's, it's Frederick March. He's, he's alone or it's over Dan Andrew's shoulder and he's alone. He looks pretty angry. And it's very, the lighting's very harsh on him. The shot is very harsh on him. And it's a confrontational shot. It's no longer the joyous bar. Like it's now, you know, it's not the party time of the bar, but it's it's a nice, fun place to be. And now it's like everything is now him. And we are now going to, we are now going to see these two confront each other. And, and this is completely not what Dan Andrews was expecting. No, was, not at all. And mm-hmm. and he's getting two by Ford here by Frederick March, who, by the way, uh, won his second Academy Award for this particular film. His first one was for the, the I think it was the 1931 or 32 production of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, which, oh. I, which I will say is spectacular. It's one of the great, Exper- it's an experimental film disguised as a mainstream horror film. And it does all sorts of incredible things, visually in special effects and with split screens and using the frame and using sound and using POV shots with, with I mean, this is not Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde minute, but I want to go on this little sidetrack because he's incredible in the film. And you see in this, he's kind of lost in the ages when people talk about the great actors in the glory era of Hollywood, Frederick March doesn't come up in the same conversations as Spencer Tracy or James Stewart or, you know, even someone like, uh, you know, or a Bogart or a Cary Grant. But in his day, he was as good as they got and could yeah. do all sorts of things. In this film, he brings... And he's great in, the, he's great in this scene, too. He brings humor to the film. And yeah. there's even has a little dark humor in this scene. And, 
I, I, he's extraordinary. And I, I, this film makes me want to just revisit the filmography of Frederick March of someone who may have been swept under the rug a little bit in terms of legendary Hollywood status as he, as he, you know, as he just takes it right to Dana Andrews in this scene in a way that I've been in those situations where I think that, oh, I'm going to have a fun time with someone. And then all of a sudden, oh, I'm having a very different conversation. And Dana yeah. has no idea how to react at this point. No. And, and Dana Andrews does just the, the classic uh, choice that any seasoned actor does. If, 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 if you know the scene is going to give you bad news, you come in hopping and skipping and happy and looking forward to hearing some good news. I mean, really simple. But he even has this moment. He has a moment when he is about to sit down. And it's small, but I, I see it. And it's a hesitancy. And it, it is, it's this gorgeous, truthful moment that I believe is quite subtle where it is one of those things where Yes, he knows he's going to see his buddy, but he also knows that he's in love with his buddy's wife, uh, with daughter, his buddy's daughter. Daughter, daughter. and Very so different. he knows. He knows. He's coming into this scene with a secret, and and he doesn't like that secret. And there's a moment right before he slides into the booth where I feel that he has a second and says, "Shit, he knows." You know what's what's really interesting about what you're saying, Tim, and you can probably talk about this a lot uh, clearer than I can, but I think when, one of the things that strikes me about this movie, and especially this scene in particular, is it feels like um, post-new school acting, even though it's pre-new school, like that it's, it's there's oh, yeah. a very modern, a modern feel to this acting oh, between yeah. these two men that feels almost improvisational even though i'm sure it's very rehearsed and, and calculated but it but it's i think that's why this movie i agree is so, you know. i i agree wholeheartedly with you and i think that is why because if when we look at the dialogue it is filled with the vernacular of chum so what do we do mm -hmm. now you you could go to a place if you just took the words and didn't really examine the circumstances an actor and and make a choice that would not be nearly as interesting. And I think they do this in the whole movie where I, I Ted, I, I agree with you so much that they are beyond their years. And I, and I have to look to the director as well. If I may, I just want to, would love to mention one other scene. I know we got to get on these minutes, but there's a scene after Frederick March has, has had a, he's been bombed the night before he wakes up, he takes a shower with pajamas He's he's uh, he's lost until he finally showers and he's got his robe on and she comes in with some food. And they just talk about food and the kids and the whole time. Those two are playing. In their minds, asking themselves and each other without saying it, are we going to make love right now? We're in the bedroom We're we're married. And he has, I get goosebumps. He has these wonderful moments where he looks at her, but he's nervous, doesn't want to get in the way with her when she has a tray. And he lo he's looking at her saying, oh, that's the woman I fell in love with. Are the kids home? Oh, they're not home. Oh, okay. Hmm. 
we're alone. It's gorgeous. And, and it, and, 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 th- and so then because they have those wonderful subtle moments, he's allowed at the end of the scene, right when she's about to walk away to grab her arm and bring her right to him and kiss her like, well, like he hasn't seen her in three years. He's, he's been allowed that trump card and he throws it down and yeah, she takes it. <laughs> and, and that's a perfect example of how real the marriage feels because it's complicated. Oh. It's, it's, it's yes. not, you know, there, there's a scene obviously later with their daughter where they, where the daughter says, Oh, you've been perfect your whole life. Well, those are the pre, that was the previous scene. Oh, the previous scene. I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Previous scene. And, and, you've been perfect your whole life and the look that they give each other which says oh yeah. we have decades of yeah we were not being good and barely and being probably roommates instead of husband and wife and yeah. you feel that in the moment that you're describing tim which is the we're kind of roommates or are we back to starting to date or yeah. And would yeah. you date me if we yeah. were starting over now? Like all of that is layered into those very complex and modern performances. Very modern. Uh, and, 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 and it doesn't, and it doesn't, it, again, it, it uh, respects the couple and not yeah. some stud who's killed a bunch of Japs and has come back to, to make love to his wife and have sex and conquer there as well. No, it's something very truthful and different. Well, and also just, just just to say one thing, that there's a reason why I think Myrna Loy's character has such a profound voice in she was the top build. She was the biggest star. And at that right. you know, at that era in movies, especially, women bought tickets, women were the main audience, and women drove mm. ticket. Like like so women were the George Clooney's and 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 Robert Downey Jr.'s and Tim Decay's of the yeah, era. Yeah, yep, <laughs> yep, yep, yep. Mm-hmm. I but, wanted to bring. I, I'm sorry. I, no, I, just wanted, I wanted to bring up that a a detail that I found out during my little uh, internet research was that you were talking about the naturalistic acting that was in this film that seemed a little ahead of its time. That was something that William Wyler really tried to. I thought so. Uh, uh, harvest with the actors and in fact the reason why he cast Harold Russell in the film was he was not an actor and he saw him in some uh, uh, documentary War, documentary, yeah. and he said that's what I need and that's the rhythm and that's the way he talks and everything like that and was enraged when he found out that Samuel Goldwyn had hired an acting coach to work with him and said no I don't want an acting coach. I don't want someone to teach him. I don't want, he would have to unlearn it. I want to just bring that. And he wanted to have everyone else have these moments of realism with the acting that he felt. And of course, remember, he had been away. He was a very successful director, won the Academy Award for Mrs. Miniver in 1942. And he went away to World War II and came back and wanted to make a film that was real. And he didn't want it to feel Hollywood. He didn't want it to feel... Uh, he wanted to feel naturalistic. And so the notion of taking the person that he brought in because he wouldn't have to, you know, unwire years of learning how to, to act in, in film was like, you know, you, you don't touch this man. You know, I, this is how we're going to act. And you're 100% right that there's, 
the style in this scene does not feel like what you would normally see in a 1940s film where everything seemed to be, you know, playing to the back of the house, so to say. Um, it's a yeah. very, and it, by, by the way, I want to say one thing, What just one other thing. Uh, another thing that Weiler did was he had all of his actors go out and buy their own clothes for that they were going to perform in. And he even told uh, Frederick March, you, you have to lose some weight. He's, he had to lose like 30 pounds uh, because he said, you were in the war and you have to come. And it's a story point of that you're thinner and that you, because it would, it would have looked unreal if, yeah. if they came back that way. And the other thing that he did was he instructed the set designers to build the rooms smaller, not to build them large for ease mm. of filming, but mm. to say that this is a room is a, a real room. We know watching it is smaller and you can see the ceiling and you can see, you know, right. it, the bedroom is not a sprawling, uh, you know, a huge set. It's, it's a small room and, and mm -hmm. it forces the acting to get smaller and it forces the acting to get more intimate. And I think to play it more real. So them buying their own clothes, them dressing themselves, them being in sets that actually feel like real rooms. I think all of that contributes. That's why he's so brilliant as a director in this movie yeah. in creating something that audiences recognize was closer to reality than what they were normally getting. I want to get back to the minute for just a second here because they're rewatching it over and over. Uh, I, sometimes when you watch something, you make a strange connection in your head that something, a moment reminds you of a scene in something completely different. Uh, so bear with me for a second here, but there's the moment when he asks, are you in love with my daughter? And then he says, you know, do I have to answer that? And he's, Am I, is there some law compelling me to answer that? And he says, no, but I ask it again. And he gives this long pause and you could tell the wheels are spinning in his head. Like, how am I going, what am I going to do here? This is, I was not ready for this conversation. And, and so in his head, he's going like, should I say no? Well, eventually, he's at, and so it all, it all is in his face, but you see the gears turning. And forgive me, the one scene this reminded me of was an episode of Seinfeld when George is caught stooping the cleaning lady in his office and he's confronted about that and there's a long pause. Is it, did you have sex with the cleaning lady? And he kind of pauses and it really long pause where it's clear he doesn't know what to say. And then he says, was that wrong? <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to plead ignorance on this. And, and that, that moment of seeing the wheels turning in Dan Andrews' head of going like, oh, man, what do I do here? And then finally, like, do you want, I'm just better off saying yes. <laughs> and a great moment of storytelling through editing is that he confronts him. So the shot is of Frederick March alone. And then we stay on Dan Andrews's face. We don't cut back to Frederick March when he says, I'm going to ask you again, are you in love with my daughter? So we're on Dana Andrews' face for that all that awkwardness instead of going back and forth. And then when he answers honestly, they go to the two shot because yep. it's as if to say, all right, we're, we're not going to lie to each other. We're on, we're, we are on the level. Our heads are on the level. The shot is level. Okay, we're two people now that we're having a problem. 
but the problem that we're having is not going to be lying to each other. And, that's right. and, and I think yeah, that, that that's there's, cinema. There's, yeah. I mean, all, all I was going to say is that there, there's, as a former editor, because I was an editor for many years, what strikes me about this is that every one of these edits are incredibly motivated. So the first cut to Frederick March is a very awkward cut, but it's awkward on purpose. It knocks you as a viewer off your heels. They've been tiny little characters in the corner. We've never seen his face in the scene. And then suddenly it's a medium shot, pretty, he fills the frame and it's very awkward and it makes us as uncomfortable as Dana Andrews. When we cut to Dana Andrews, we live with him. We, so we, they trust the performance and it's an equal shot. So it's a reverse shot. It's equal in size, but he looks uncomfortable. And then it turns into the side-by-side shot, which is telling the story vis- visually, and it only cuts when it has to. And now, as you said, Paul, they're on the same level, but they're also. it also could be boxers in a ring. It could be gunslingers about ready to face off with each other, and we don't know how the scene's going to go. Is someone going to get punched? Is someone going to get killed? Are they going to make up? We don't know. And that's the thrill of that edit of showing them facing off the side edit. And we live in that shot for a little while. And that's been the thrill of talking about this minute with Tim Decay and Ted Sullivan, because that's going to wrap up this minute because we got a lot to unpack. (laughs) Oh, we got a whole other minute to unpack, Tim. Don't you worry. All Don't right. you worry. But uh, he, he brings up the notion he's in love with his daughter and he brings up his wife and asks where she fits in this particular story. And that is going to be where we're going to wrap up this particular episode. Hey, Tim Decay, do you exist anywhere in the world of social media that you would want people to follow you? Yeah, sure. I have an Instagram account. I think it's at uh, Tim underscore decay but yeah and but i don't tweet hardly ever i've quite a few people but yes on instagram come follow me it's and this is how this how this is how good you are promotion that you said i think it's at tim it's like yeah all those games, it's probably it's in the ballpark yep. and uh ted sullivan where can people follow you on the interwebs uh you can follow me uh ted sullivan at Carter Hall, which is the Thangarian spelling of Hawkman's alien name, K-A-R-T-E-R-H-O-L, both at uh, Instagram and Twitter. And everyone else, you can find the best minute podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, or at the main site, which is thebestminutes.com. I'm your pal, Sully. I can be found at Sully Baseball on Twitter, Sully Baseball Podcast on Instagram. Uh, And... Also, the Butch's Place, the Best Years of Our Lives Listener Cafe, is on Facebook and on Twitter. We're at The Best Minutes. What is going to happen? Will they throw a punch? Is the great friendship between Al and Fred going to come apart at the seams over the love of his daughter? We're going to find out the next minute of The Best Minutes Podcast. Hey, Joe, you better hurry up out there because she's taking off soon. Right, thanks. Come on, Taylor. <laughs> <laughs>